Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. And now, here's an indie blues double shot from our featured artist today, Cassius King and the Downtown Rulers. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs.
Cassius King from his brand new release, and we got Cassius on the line right now. Hey, Cassius, how you doing today? Yo, doing great. How you doing? I'm doing okay. Now, this is the first time you've been on our show, and we always like to give our fans this opportunity to get to know who you are. And the best way to do that is through your journey, how you got to where you are today. So give us the story of Cassius King. Well, you know, uh, I've been a musician all my life and uh, basically uh, started out in a touring band for for many years and uh, realized that uh, the $100 a night gig was not going to feed my kids, so I went into audio engineering and production managing, so I've been a uh, production manager for Live Acts for, you know, 25 years, and then... uh, uh, then after that, I had a great opportunity to play with uh, a guitar player by the name of Ted Lee Hooker, who uh, died a couple years ago. But uh, he was he was my entree into the blues, which uh, was just uh, a life changing moment, and uh, and wanted to make my return to music. And so uh, the band took off from there and and started to flourish. Okay. Now, you know, every artist has that crossroad moment in their lives where something happened, something sparked within them that made the choice of music a a logical choice, a career path. You know, and they've had maybe several paths in front of them, but something moved them into that direction. What was that moment for you that you knew that music was your career? I knew that I wanted to return to music. I I was always wanting to return to music. And in 2016, I would say that moment was uh, when I found B.B. King's Bluesville. And it's like, oh, that that was, that is the sound that I, you know, I played, uh, again, going back to, you know, earlier days, I played in reggae bands and funk bands, a lot of different bands. But as an artist, I realized that that is how I wanted to express myself was through the blues, and that that was the, the you know the 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 genesis of of rock and roll was what I'd been chasing all my life. You know the beginning, the kernel, right? You know the big bang of of music. Well, you know, I always said that if it wasn't for the blues, we'd all be dancing around to the polka. You know what I mean? That's true that. <laughs> yeah, that's a scary <laughs> thought. Now, uh, let's talk a little bit about the new release. When you were putting this together, what was the inspiration that drove this into existence? Um, it, it, you know, basically, uh, as the project grew, it, it attracted... Uh, 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 more very established talent. So uh, uh, Chalo Ortiz, who took Teddy's place after he died, uh, is a, uh, a Grammy-nominated guitar player, a, a, a wonderful guitar player that you know everybody should hear. Uh, I, I knew that, and I knew that as a as an organ player, as a Hammond player, and a piano player, that that chair was. Uh, 
paramount in doing what I wanted to do, as well as uh, Chris White on bass, who's also Grammy-nominated, and J.R. Lozano, who's uh, uh, a Grammy-winning drummer. Um, And uh, as, you know, I, I write from the heart, uh, the, the the lyrics are from the heart, and you know because people can know when you're when you're phoning it in, man. You you got you got to you got to give yourself out there to get something back, and uh, it, it again it just came came together that way. I don't know if that answered your question, right? But. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. Now um, let's talk a little bit about you as a songwriter. When you sit down to begin that process, what is the mechanism? that allows you to tap into your muse? Uh, it's, it's life, you know, it's, it's, you know, what, whatever you're experiencing in life or, uh, somebody else may be experiencing in life and being able to, to put that to words and put that to, to chords to, um, to say, so, you know, like most songs, it usually starts with a hook or a thought or a direction. And uh, and then you know you mold it from there. Okay. Now, um, one of the things I think a lot of songwriters have embraced some of the technology today as tools in their toolkit, whether it's the cell phone to capture ideas, or they have a home recording studio where they can lay out a structure and then write to that structure. Uh, what are some of the tools you have found to be indispensable to you as a writer? Um, yeah, I mean, I have a, I have a Pro Tools system at home and, you know, uh, really to, to bang out, uh, uh, you know, just basic structures and phrases and bridges is, is, is what I use that for. Um, you know, but as uh, a piano player, if, if you can't sell it on the piano, you're not you're not going to be able to sell it. You know what I mean? Right. You know, I'm not going to be able to sell it to my bandmate. So you know, I got to be able to 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 play it, to sell it to them, to to say, oh yeah, oh oh yeah, that's good. You know, let's let's try that one. Okay. So um, I, I guess I'm a little bit more old school in that way. Um, you know, even though I have a ton of technology tools at my fingertips, um, you know, it's it, 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 you know it, 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 it's a piano player with a voice. It's a you know on guitar. Sometimes I play a little guitar. I might strum it that way. Um, but yeah, I, I, I keep it pretty simple. Okay, now. Um of course, one of the things that I think a lot of young, strong songwriters struggle with is that moment where you have to put the pen down, where you have to declare the song at least finished in the writing phase, because it always evolves. It evolves in the studio. It evolves even after you record it when you take it out on the road. But you got to get to the point where you give it to the band, the producer, allow them to put their fingerprints on it. What is your quantifier that allows you to that kind of helps you determine when a song is ready to move to that next phase of its life? Um, you know what? Basically, uh, when it moves me, if if I know that I've done everything that I can, you know, on on my own to to you know get it to where it needs to be then you know uh then you gotta you gotta let the child go you gotta let the child grow 
you know, okay. and and that's what happens. And 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 once you take it to the band, it gets you know a lot of times almost rewritten in in many ways. And so that's when the conversation starts to to um, pull the song in a different direction. Uh, sometimes it'll end up with a completely different beat or a tempo that I would have never thought of, and and it's twice as good as what I started with. Okay. You know, and then once once you go into the studio, you know we had uh, we had Dave Darling uh, um, do our album. We were very lucky to have him. He is a brilliant man. And then it, the process starts again, and he took it in directions that I would have never thought of. And and it you know it it then becomes greater than the sum of its parts. Yep. Well, that. Yep. I agree. Now, um, one of the big buzzwords in the industry today is artificial intelligence. Um, it is. Perme- yeah. It has permeated every aspect of our lives. Uh, the the SAG after strike really kind of brought it to the forefront, and then of course you have the new Beatles uh, single that came out that utilized AI to kind of isolate the vocals and instruments from this cassette recording that John Lennon did that allowed them to kind of build the song from, you know, multiple tracks. Um, But there are tools out there for songwriters to help with lyrics. There are tools that help with melody, chord progressions, uh, even beats. What What is your vision of where... artificial intelligence will affect the music industry, especially songwriters and the craft of songwriting as we move into the future? Um, uh, Unfortunately, I I think it's going to encroach in a bad way. Um, You know, our album's only been out for three weeks. And already, if if you Google or, or YouTube, uh, Cassius King and the Downtown Rulers. There's already a version that, and it, I, they may have taken it down, but there was already one that I, I, I don't know how he did it. I have to think it's some artificial intelligence way because the 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 beat was not slowed down or sped up. Um, the instruments, but the instruments were repitched. And it was it it, it 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 tripped me out because it sounds like a completely different different version of of what we did on the album. So you know, I, I'm all for people expressing their creativity through you know uh, the little movies they make or or, or whatever. You know, I, I'm all for it, but um, I, I think we're in for some strange times ahead. Is all, all I can say with with uh, all the technology that's um, emerging. Well, you know, it's interesting because I remember when um, the drum machine hit the uh, the music industry. Um, oh, yeah. And, and back then, it was the industry was in an uproar because you're going to take the human feel out of music. They um, Then MIDI came along. And for, yeah. Forget was, about it. I was it. there, too. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, especially the pit musicians in, in on Broadway were all in an uproar because now you could program a whole play on a computer and play it back with 
uh, synthesizers. So again, the whole industry was in an uproar. And I'll agree, during the 70s, there were a lot of people who abused this technology to create some one-hit wonders. You know what I mean? Some, you know, know, mechanized, you know, disco kind of music. But it was short-lived because once the creatives got a hold of this technology, then they were able to interject the craft and the humanization to the technology. And I think that with artificial intelligence, we're going to get that kind of... um, trajectory where you're going to have initially uh, an abuse of the technology and then the creatives will find a way to to bring it back to that human connection um, one of the things I've checked out some of these lyric ones and it spits out a lot of uh, minutiae but there are some diamonds in the rough within that minutia where you can look at it and say whoa you know that that's a cool little line if i did this and i did that i can make that into a song you know uh so you know we as songwriters we're constantly listening to conversations and picking up on turns of phrases and um you know whether it's you know seeing a meme on the internet it doesn't matter where we get it from it's what we do with it once we have it. You know what I mean? I totally know what you mean, and I, I couldn't agree more. And so, yes, it, you know, I actually uh, was was there during the MIDI revolution, mm-hmm. and you know, I I can remember uh, the concerns, and and I can remember the first drum machines too. The, the you know the Lynn drum machines and the Elisa drum machines, and and you know there was a big concern about that. And you're right that people used it um, as a replacement, and it failed. And, but when they used it as an artistic tool to enhance their musical art, uh, that's when it really uh, found its home. You know, I can, you know, uh, I can remember, you know, guys like Thomas Dolby and Howard yeah. Jones, uh, uh, you know, really showing uh, Peter Gabriel, um, you know, guys like that really showing how it could be used as uh almost a hyper-realistic creative enhancement to music rather than a replacement for, you know, other musicians. And I agree 100%. I think, you know, like I said, I think AI is going to become a tool within our toolbox. You know, just like, you know, when we get a DAW today, uh, you know, digital audio workstation, that it comes with a drum machine. It comes with MIDI, you know, synthesizers built into it. So it's it's part and parcel of our toolkit now. And I think AI is going to become part of that now. In fact, it, it's already, you know, if you get like ozone 11 i mean there's ai software built into it um, uh, i think nectar 4 actually has um uh, voices that you can sing into it and it will change if you're a female it will change it into a male voice and then give you a harmony to that right you know so you know it like i said it's it it's a tool if it's used as such you know yeah, agreed. Now, uh, let's talk a little bit about getting into the studio. As an engineer and someone who's proficient in Pro Tools, um, what is your process when you go into the studio? 
that helps you capture the sound you're looking for? Well, uh, you know, uh, again, we had we had Dave. Dunn. He's uh, heavy-handed in that area. There, there wasn't a lot of. Uh, let's just say we knew who was in charge. <laughs> you know, I, and um, and you know, our job was to to uh, uh, you know uh, uh, play and present the song uh, as as best we saw it and had done it um and to to let him loose to do his thing and and uh, you know again um there there was not one bad idea or suggestion that he did he's like well let's do this instead of this why don't we try it you know i I like what you're doing there but let's do this and literally he, he literally just you know building block after building block Im- improved everything we did and so um uh, you know and, and again for taking 25 years off as a musician uh but never leaving the industry but as as a, a singer you know i as, as as a performer uh basically i'd written during that whole time but but as a performer and everyone in my band it was working you know grammy nominated grammy award-winning players i i I was playing up on my game you know what i'm saying you know so um so basically most of the time i was just trying to keep up and uh and keep a positive attitude and and let it go where it was gonna go okay now um one of the things I think a lot of musicians have difficulty with is defining what is success in the music industry. Um, and everyone seems to have a different um, answer to that question. What is your definition of success in the music industry, and where do you see yourself in that timeline? Sure. Well, you know, they call it the music business for a reason. And, and you know, um, this venture that, that we started, uh, we are taking an artistic business approach to it rather than, you know, like I said, back in the 90s when I was playing, we, we were just doing tour dates and trying to capture audiences and trying to capture ears and you know the uh, but to circle back to what you're saying um as a musician success comes through connection if you can connect with your audience if your audience connects with you there is something very magical and very special about that and so uh you know that, that that's a number one you know um, for me, uh, for me personally, on on the business end, um, what defines success is if you know now that the tools of technology have been opened up, you don't have to make your album through um, you know through a record company. Uh, you you have the means and the ability to make your own. Uh, the, the business end is defined by. Uh, how many people you can get it to? How many? How many? You know, success is is, is basically, you know, how many spins you can get now. 
it you know it isn't even product you know we we, we have CDs and and whatever else but they're more of an esoteric uh, item uh, uh, you know to to sell at shows you know nobody's got a CD player anymore right right well yeah uh, you know that's that's the big quandary we're in now is that we have to we lost our main revenue um generator with cds because i mean you can't get one in your car you can't get one in your computer you can't even go best buy and buy one you have to go to a thrift store in order to find any and you know so once the That's hardware's where I got mine. <laughs> yeah once the hardware's gone the software is not far behind you know so i mean you know, streaming, you know, has really been embraced by the consumer. The problem with streaming is that the consumer no longer looks at recorded music as a product. It's now a service that we now have. Agreed. Yeah. You know, it's they expect it for free, you know, and you got to admit it's it's a no brainer for the consumer. You know, as someone who's purchased their music on vinyl, a track, cassette, CD, Downloads. I'm getting tired of it. Um, you know, repurchasing my music now for ten, fifteen dollars a month. I have access to everything that's been recorded in the last hundred and twenty years um, at the you know the swipe of a finger. So right. you know, it's it's really convenient. Um, but again, we you know we have this this shift in perception by the consumer now how has this shift affected you as an artist oh uh it's 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 affected us greatly i mean you know so you know the, the big thing is if you can get everything for nothing or next to nothing then there's no value placed on on what you've created so if you go back to the 70s 80s and 90s of all uh, you know the bands that we know and love uh you know the bad news was you couldn't make a, a record unless you got a record deal the good news is if you got a record deal that there was a good chance that you you had a good chance to make it as an artist because it was somewhat of a closed community and artists made their money off of uh they made their livings off of record sales or cd sales and they would tour to support their new release to sell more CDs or records. Now it's exactly, you know, uh, 180 degrees different. You make CDs or records, you know, or recordings as a calling card for, uh, to hopefully make money at shows or appearances or merchandise. Um, and, you know, that's, that, that's a real tough thing to do. You know, especially when, you know, uh, club owners are still paying, paying even, you know, any act uh, pretty much the same as what they paid them 25 years ago when I stopped playing live. Well, yeah, and then you also have the the dynamics of the fact that, you know, after the pandemic, we lost a lot of the routing venues that we all depended on to get from one anchor gig to the next. You know, we, you know, those Wednesday, Thursday night gigs, those Monday, Tuesday night gigs, you know, and people don't realize when you go out on the road, you still got to pay the band. People still got to eat. They still got to have a place to sleep. So all of that downtime is is money out the window. 
Um, so it becomes, you know, less and less um, e- economic to get on the road, get in the tan van and, and start, you know, roaming the country like we did prior to the pandemic. At least you could route a, a tour. You know, it's it's much more difficult now. Yeah, and and uh, you know, and honestly, you know, and and about all you could do is pay the band and eat and have a good place to, place to sleep, and hopefully you you gained you know uh, some more exposure and some more people that you connected with. Um, yeah, it's it, it's a different world now. You know, um, a lot of the bands now have to wait till they get to a certain echelon of of online presence and hits, and then you know. Um, uh, command a, a larger salary to do a show that they would have done for half as much um, before, if that makes sense. No, it makes total sense. Now, uh, you know, we all know that the revenue that we get from streaming is not sustainable as a business model. No, uh, absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the record companies made their deals with Spotify and, and the streaming services that are out there, and whatever was left over was pretty much um, delegated to the independent artist community, who, by the way, really makes up the bulk of content that um, that is available on these platforms. You know, I right. mean, the the statistics are there's like 20,000 songs being uploaded to Spotify every week, which is a staggering amount of music. Um, but the independent artist is not getting or it's not being distributed in a fair way um, where an independent artist is impossible for him or her to break even on a recorded project. So, you know, it becomes another economic um, chain around their neck. Let's put it that way. Uh, What do you think needs to happen to change that dynamic? Uh, That is a very good question. Um, You know, uh, uh, again, when you say 20,000 artists, what did you say, a week? Yeah. A month? A week. Yeah. yeah. So that's a lot of content for people to weed through for for a radio station or let's say you know even a spotify super user um that's uh you know an equivalent to a radio station that's a lot of content for somebody to weed through to try and find what's good versus what's okay um so i don't really know you know again if everybody's a musician and nobody's a, then nobody's a musician, or we're all musicians in one way or another, and 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 that's great. Everybody should have the ability to to do that. But I I think all that can be done is maybe set set a little higher uh, uh, standards for um, for recording, uh, for mastering. That if you're really serious about this, that at least we know that you did it right, rather than release your song off your iPhone. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah I know so, exactly um, what you mean. So I, I, I you know, that, that and maybe set the bar a little higher to, you know, as, as far as, uh, uh, you know, recording quality, you know, as, as an audio engineer and, and working on, on that end of things, um, you know, I, I would say that might be something to you know, to look at to uh, 
thin the herd just a little bit. Well, you know, recording technology today has really filtered down to the the independent artist. I mean, you know, um, you know, they can go out and get a, a Focusrite, you know, two by two, and 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 you know, build a track utilizing that, and you know, get uh, you know, Studio One or Pro Tools or Cubase or any of the the DAWs that are out there, and and build a track. I think it. it what we need to do is we need to look at where the technology is going in the future. And one of the problems with independent artists up to this point is we've always been behind the curve. When Napster came around, it took us all by a surprise. When iTunes came out, the 99-cent downloads, it was a real boom to the independent artists because we can directly monetize our music through this platform. But then we had to go through an aggregator, and all of a sudden, everyone started taking a piece of the pie. And again, when streaming came along, again, it took us, you know, they sent us back on our heels, because now that whole world of uh, monetizing our music became a, a less of a, a revenue stream than we than we were used to you know we're not getting that download music anymore that download money anymore uh, so we have to look at the future and say okay how do we get a seat at the table and what is coming down the pike and one of the things that I'm watching is there is there are streaming services that have been uh, developed that utilize the same technology as cryptocurrency, uh, the blockchain. And one of those, right. and one of the big advantages of the blockchain is that they are decentralized. In other words, no company or person can own the service. The service is owned by the fans and by the artists who put up their content. So. They're claiming that it only takes 20% of the incoming revenue to run the service. The other 80% can be funneled directly back to the artists themselves. What do you think of that as a potential business model for the future of streaming? I think that's a brilliant idea. I mean, you know, anything that puts more money back in the artist. uh, After, you know... After I released this album, uh, my one and only goal is to make another album, and you know to be able to be sustainable enough to do that, um, you know, and it, and it, the only again the only direct re- revenue stream, which is very small right now, is is uh, you know digital digital downloads or digital digital plays, and so if. There's something that's you know more of a blockchain co-op that's going to help artists uh, do that next album. Uh, I'm all for it. Well, speaking of that, I think um, there's another technology that's also based on the blockchain that I found really interesting. Uh, a lot of artists, you know, we're familiar with doing, you know. Uh, Patreon or, you know, doing crowdfunding through Kickstarter. Right. Uh, but the problem with that is, is that you're actually asking someone to donate to you um, as an artist. But there's no financial incentive to continue that. You know, once you you, you can only hit them up so many times. 
you know, for this these kinds of funds. And there's a site called Royal.io that allows you to create these non-fungible tokens that represent a small portion of your streaming or your publishing royalties. And because it's on the blockchain, these things can be embedded into a smart contract, whereby the administration of them is automatic through these blockchain-based streaming services. And one of the rap artists, Nas, has been doing this, and I've been watching him intently. And what he did is he took two songs off his last release, and he made enough NFTs, uh, NFTs to that represented one half of the streaming royalties on two songs. And he sold it to his fan base, was able to generate almost $600,000 in upfront income. In addition, he now had over 3,000 fans that had an economic interest in making sure his music is streamed. In addition, these things are bought and sold on an open market. So if I bought one of these NFTs and I got some money out of it and someone offered me more money for what I paid for it, I would sell it to him. But Nas would then get a commission off that resale of that NFT in perpetuity. It's like selling stock in a song. I, I hear I, I hear exactly what you're saying. Yeah, that that is an extremely interesting concept. And these are technologies that are here now that are actually functioning as uh, a business entity. They're actually a functioning um, uh, how can I say it? Uh, um, aspect of the music industry. Uh, what do you think of that as being a potential business model to replace, let's say, the record company traditionally? I, I think it's a brilliant idea. I, you know, a, a, again, uh, that that's an out, uh, you know, out of the box thinking to to try and uh, monetize artists. I mean, you know, we we. We, we all suffer from our art to a certain degree, but at the same time, uh, we all have lives and, and families and, and you know, want to continue to, you know, to make music. And uh, anything that helps pr- propagate that or perpetuate that forward, uh, I'm all for. I got, yeah, I think it's a brilliant idea. You know, it, it's, it's better than becoming a 501c3 nonprofit and, and you know, and, you know, uh, asking for a donation every year. You right. know what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, and, and now, you know, your fans can now be investors in you as an artist and you know i mean think about it if we had this back in the day and we were able to buy stock in let it be or yeah yeah led zeppelin you know we wouldn't be talking right now i'd be sitting on a right. beach with a mai tai you know yeah yeah it's, it's, it's beautiful now um one of the things that I've also been watching is that before the pandemic, content creation and social media marketing was important. But once that pandemic hit and we were locked down and, and touring stopped, it became essential for an independent artist 
to utilize this technology to their advantage. So it really got accelerated. Uh, artists started to do live streams. You know, yeah. as as the weeks turned into months, they bought better gear. They 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 learned how to, you know, mix a nice sound and and created some really good sounding quality video and audio uh, for these live streams. But then the months turned into years and the fans kind of, you know, tired of, you know, the strict kind of uh, live stream concert concept. They wanted something that was a little more personal. They wanted more of that reality show kind of mentality, that raw authentic content that showed who you were as a person. It became a branding opportunity. Um, right. You know, there were artists that were showing their, their, their families and kids and pets and barnyard animals and, and, and trips that they made to the mountains and, you know, their, their hikes in the woods or whatever it is that they did or, you know, the process they were using to write a particular song, you know, they, they would broadcast that over social media and the fans really picked up on it and they ate this stuff up and the the fans the the artist that i'm seeing is gaining the most amount of um um success utilizing this kind of um technology are the ones that have embraced this this reality show kind of mindset uh what are some of the things that you are doing to promote this new release using content and social media yeah uh, we're we're actually working on uh, a couple videos right now for the release that should be out in a week or two um we uh, i i haven't really embraced that side of it yet and i guess you know uh, again e- even though uh, i've been in the business so long uh, i'm a new artist you know this is this is my first release and um i haven't been so reticent to give up my privacy yet but uh, yes i see that's the direction that all all this is going and has gone it, you know especially during the pandemic and yeah it's like you know uh, every artist has to you know do their own episode of the osbournes you know to keep people engaged and um uh it, it's interesting uh, uh, again I, i'm a little bit more private and i haven't been so ready to do that yet i would say Okay. Well, that's fair enough. Now, I, you know, I really appreciate you coming on the show and, and talking oh, with us. Oh, my pleasure, bro. And uh, we're going to give everyone out there a double shot from your new release. You guys are going to love this. You know what? Turn it up loud. Another round Doesn't matter what I do 
rise from the ground Lord, won't you help me find Way back home and peace of mind Cause my baby She's all alone
artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Shout now, honey! 